This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is the Wharton Sports Business Show on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Welcome to the Wharton Sports Business Show here on Business Radio, Sirius XM Channel 111. I'm George Perry, Wharton alum and Chief Revenue Officer of Penn Sports Property. We are here every Tuesday live at 4 p.m. Eastern and repeated throughout the week. And today we have a a terrific guest that I'm going to bring on shortly. Uh, For those of you that aren't aware, 124th running of the Penn Relays. Um, And that event will take place from... Thursday through Saturday, April 26th to the 28th, and we often refer to it as the largest and oldest, uh, most prestigious track meet in the world. Um, There'll be more than 15,000 athletes uh, from uh, across the U.S. and from around the world that will compete over three days. And just to put some perspective on that, uh, the Rio Games had Summer Olympic Games had 10,500 athletes over 16 days. The Winter Games uh, in Korea, South Korea this past year uh, had just 3,000 athletes over 16 days. But I got to see it from behind the scenes last year. Uh, as, as I'm as part of Penn Sports Properties, we are responsible for uh, some of the multimedia that happens around the event as well as selling sponsorships and creating uh, corporate partnerships for the relays. Um, but what was most amazing to me was three days, 15,000 athletes, um, our guest will have to tell us how many events that, that is over three days. And each day ended on time and in a couple cases ended early. And so the man behind that, the man that kind of puts this whole meet together and then makes sure that it runs uh, you know, the way it's supposed to run, is our guest today. He's the Dolson director of uh, – I'm sorry, the Frank Dolson director of Penn Relays for 23 years uh, and, and still going strong. Mr. Dave Johnson, welcome to the show. Thank you, George. Um, so Dave and I have had the opportunity to work together for the last couple of years, and we spent some time particularly working closely with uh, uh, USA Track and Field and Nike, who are big partners in this in this event. But before we get into some of the details and some of the business behind the relays, Dave, maybe you could give our audience who some of these people may not be familiar with the relays, just a little bit of background of you know what this event is and, and kind of an historic perspective as well as uh, what happens here for those three days here at the last weekend in April. Well, what you see now is actually a natural outgrowth of 124 years of planning, thinking, uh, preparation, and it's not something that uh, was ever expected to be what it's become. It began in 1895. In fact, when it began, it was a means of trying to reinvigorate uh, the Penn community in uh, in its interest in the track team. Football and baseball were big sports crew fencing, uh, track was dying off. So they were, the track committee was trying to fig- figure out a way to uh, revive some interest. And they hit upon the idea of uh, running a relay in one of our spring uh, handicap uh, events. Handicaps meaning that not that people were disabled, but that uh, to make races close, uh, the best guy on the team might start at the, at the starting line and you know, the next best quarter miler might be 15 yards ahead of him at the start. So that was the handicapping process. Well, to bring some interest to the meet, uh, they uh, brought Princeton University down to run a mile relay. Four guys run each running a quarter mile. They repeated that in 1894 and 
1895, they said, you know what, these were successful. Uh, People found some real interest in in those relays. Let's do a whole meet with several relay races in it. And that year, every race was a mile relay. Uh, There were four collegiate races, four prep school races, and five high school races, each with only two teams uh, in, in a race. Uh, they ran that race, that meet off. It was the first time Franklin Field had been used. Uh, Franklin Field had just been finished, uh, at least the grandstand, such as it was, probably seated about 300, maybe 400 people. Um, and the track hadn't really been finished. But the crowd still turned out to a number of about 5,000, easily the largest track and field attendance figure ever in Philadelphia up to that point. And from there, uh, Franklin Field grew. Uh, the Penn Relays grew, Penn Football grew, uh, and those three uh, components all pulled together. And then it, it really took off even further uh, in the 19-teens when the Army-Navy game came to Franklin Field. And the combination of Army-Navy and Penn Relays uh, dictated that we needed a larger stadium. And so we pulled down the existing stadium in 1921 in that summer, rebuilt it. Uh, in fact, uh, the whole thing uh, was reconstructed in about eight weeks. The whole lower tier of the current grandstand done in eight weeks. Uh, the students came back. The, there was a carpenter strike. The students got together and they finished off all the seating in the stadium. Um, it, was, it was a remarkable time. It was 19, uh, fall of 1921 when that was going on. Um, And then a few years later, they put the upper deck on, and again, it was mandated by three things. By then, Penn football, Army-Navy game, and Penn relays. And and so for those that aren't familiar, Franklin Field is the university's stadium here. Um, and and so now that that the capacity now is around sixty something thousand, probably uh, close to around fifty five, fifty seven if you count obstructed view seats. Okay. Um, now for track, it's it's less because the upper deck sight lines are geared to the football sidelines. So unless you're in the first, if unless you're on the opposite side of the field from where you want want to be watching or you're right along the rail in the first two or three rows, you can't really see the track on your side of the stadium from the upper deck. So it, there are limited view seats, let's say. And so you mentioned, so that in the early days, it was, you said about 5,000 people. It was a one, was it a one-day event? One-day event part? in 1895. And now we're looking, here we are in 2018, uh, 124th running. It's a three-day event. Uh, last year they had close to 108 to 110,000 people over the three days, spectators. Uh, obviously a huge event uh, with not only the event going in on ins- all the events going on inside, but even outside there's a there's a carnival village where a lot of our sponsors are there uh, activating, basically, you know, sell- showing their product, demonstrating their product, getting leads. Uh, we have the uh, the military, uh, the Marines are there, the Navy's there, uh, the Army. Actually, the Navy's not there. The Army, Coast Guard, and Marines. Um, and one of those reasons is because uh, of the participants. It's not. It's not just a, a race for. It's not just an event for uh, elite athletes. But but can you talk a little bit about kind of the participants from the from the youngest to the to the oldest that are that participate in this meet? Yeah, we've had uh, youngsters. As, well, back in the days of a road race, we'd have infants in strollers. But you know, in terms of using their own feet to get around. 
Uh, we've had kids as young as four or five. Wow. And we, a couple of years ago, we had a woman 102 years old. Um, so we pretty much run the gamut. And she ran in the age. 100 meters, right? Ran the 100 meters. And do you but, remember her time? I don't. But I it, don't. But it was way longer than, but it was amazing. It was amazing. It I mean, it, it's been the biggest uh, social media hit we've had in 20 years. Fantastic. So you've got you've got young, old, but you've got I mean the the race is really around three areas: the high school, collegiate, and elite. Oh, and then even the masters, I guess, is a big area. Well, too, the right? masters are big, and uh, you can't tell a junior high school kid who runs here that they're not a big part of it. Right. Everybody has a has a very strong and devoted interest in the event, um, and everyone, frankly, overvalues their participation i i think if you if you ask everybody how important their their part of the relays is you've got it easily two to three hundred percent of the of the meat invested that way <laughs> well and and i'll throw out there my my daughter actually is going to be running for the first time uh so obviously clearly i'm uh you know, she's representing lake braddock high school in, in northern virginia uh who won one of the uh championship uh wheels last year or two years ago in the uh uh, distance medley relay. Can you talk a little bit about the the kind of those elite races, those twenty four races, and the specialness of this plaque that that these races, yeah. the championship races, championship of America races? Yeah. Well, the plaque be- first uh, came into being in nineteen twenty five. Uh, the director of physical education at the at Penn, uh, R. Tate McKenzie, designed it. He was a noted uh, artist, sculptor, and uh, it tied in. Uh, very traditional concepts. Uh, it's a, it's a emblematic of Ben Franklin giving a laurel wreath to four relay runners. Well, that uh, it was an embodiment of what the relays had become. Uh, back in the 19 teens, there was no real national championship, and while the Penn relays was awfully early, essentially it had begun as the starting point of the outdoor track season. Um, but there were schools that started coming in from all parts of the country by the 19-teens, and events became known as, colloquially, as the Championship of America. Now, we've maintained that that moniker for the relay championships, um, not for the individual events, because the NCAA came in and gradually became truly a national collegiate championship. But for the relays, uh, you know, we have gradually added events. We started with a mile relay. We added a two-mile relay a couple of years later and then a four-mile relay. Um, the uh, 440 and 880 relays, what are now the 4 by 100 and 4 by 200 meters, were added in 1922. And the uh, sprint medley and distance medleys were added in 1915. The shuttle hurdles in 1926. And that's, that's our eight basic relays, four of which we run on the high school level. So you have eight collegiate men's and women's championships, four collegiate, four high school boys and girls championships. And those 24 races are uh, more symbolic of the relays almost than anything else. They're not necessarily the biggest crowd favorites, but they epitomize the relays. It's, it's the breadth, the depth of, of the sport there. And it's scholastic-based. It's uh, high school ninth graders through college seniors. Excellent. So, again, as, as I alluded to in the, in, earlier in the, the show, 
This is a huge event, 15,000 athletes um, or more. Um, approximately how many events probably uh, over the three days? Well, it depends on how you want to consider an event. For instance, uh, on, how many the, heats even? Well, there we go. Uh, <laughs> heats and different competitions and field events, we're talking more than 600. Um, in our uh, high school 4 by 400 meter relays, uh, each race constitutes its own final. We'll give awards to uh, the first three places in each race. Uh, but they also qualify to advance to a championship final. So while one, somebody might say, well, those are heats, uh, we count them as individual, event, individual races. And we'll run on Saturday for the boys. We'll have about uh, 45 heats or finals mm -hmm. uh, from which we'll select the nine best teams to move on to the final later in the day. So, so more than 600 ready, set, go, you know, the gun going off yeah. and, and a finish uh, yeah. over the three days. And, and yet somehow you managed, you know, you know, we had some great weather last year, a little hot, but, but it was, there was not a lot of rain. I think there was a little bit of a rain uh, at one point. Talk a little bit about kind of what goes into the operations. What, what, what does it take to run a meet of this size? Um, and how many, you know, paid people, how many volunteers, and, and kind of what goes into the, the, the operations of a meet? I think that the biggest key is the meat's own longevity, the fact that we've been doing it for so long and have grown up uh, each person side by side with other people who have also been invested in, in it over the years. That uh, is something that's incalculable because I don't think you could create this meat out of nothing and just say, okay, we've got a game plan. We have all of the pen relays formula. We're going to take 25, 25 key leaders and 450 officials from around the country, and we're just going to put it together and make it work. It, there is too much, let's say, undocumented, unspoken activity that goes on that, that makes the thing work and makes it click because you're part of a team that gets together every year and you have a sense of what your teammate is doing. It's it's not uh, the practice only happens once a year for three days. But if you're not part of that practice, um, it's tough to get in that first year without the help of the people on either side of you. And so we we talked a little bit about kind of what the what the staffing looks like. You, you've got uh, you know a couple dozen or, or a group of of people in the athletic department mm -hmm. um, that are, you know, they have full-time jobs year-round managing 30-something, 30 31 collegiate sports as well as, uh, you know, other things. But but th this is a big event for them too. So you've got some marketing support, some ticketing support, some operational support. But when it comes to the meet itself and, and actually, you know, timing and, and starting and getting people, getting the, the athletes on the, on the starting line on time and Getting them off the, the the off the track so the next group can come in. Um, I think you mentioned to me that's that's 450 or so volunteers. The officials count is around 450 each year. Um, they are volunteers. Uh, beyond that, there is, the office staff is one uh, full full time year round person and one half time person, um, and then there are contractors who 
provide services that um, would be would be swamping the athletic department to employ all of them full time. You'd you'd be creating other jobs for uh, 10, 11, 11 and a half months a year. Um, so there, there's a good in, input from outside contractors. But uh, in terms of year-round, day-to-day, uh, it's a one-and-a-half-person staff. Wow. And so how do you find 450 people willing to just volunteer their time away from their regular jobs, um, you know, and, and, and to, to help put on the meat? The meat does that. We don't have to find them. They find us. Um, we're in that enviable position of uh, people wanting to be here because of what it's become. Um, it's it's a calling card uh, for uh, officials, say, who are on the rise and want to work more at national meets. I work pen relays. Oh, well, we'll watch and see how, how, how you perform. Um, so there's that aspect. There's... It's also a bucket list. We'll have people who are, you know, close to retiring or they work elsewhere in the country, but just once they'd love to come back and work band relays. So you get those two influences going, and then there are the alumni and the local officials up and down the East Coast who have grown up with the event. Probably they ran in it. Um, They coached. They've officiated other meets, and this is the the big one they want to do every year. So those are the basically the three prongs, and and the the last is certainly the most important. Excellent. So you're listening to the Wharton Sports Business Show on Sirius XM 111. Uh, we have Dave Johnson, the uh, Frank Dolson uh, director of the Penn Relays, uh, in the studio with us today, which is great. The Penn Relays is a the world's lo- largest and oldest track meet, the uh, 124th running will take place next Thursday through Saturday. Um, and Dave, you've been doing this for 23 years. My guess is you've seen a lot uh, over the 23 years. What's, what's, um, what's kind of your, uh, and this, this is the, you know, the age-old question, kind of your greatest memory over these 23 years, the, uh, when you're looking at, if you were to look back right now? My best, my fondest memories fondest are memory. for, f- from years when I was in the press corps, or when I was uh, just sitting in the stands as a fan, uh, you know, you get on the infield as an official, and you're right in that maelstrom, and it's hard to remember uh, what you saw. I, I have to look at the newspaper the next morning to remember, oh, yeah, oh, that was a great race. I've, yeah, but uh, to remember it on the spot, it doesn't happen as well. My, my fondest memory, though, is um, my first year working in the press box, 1979. Ronaldo Nehemiah was a sophomore at the University of Maryland. And uh, he comes in on Saturday and anchors Maryland to a shuttle hurdles championship. Uh, he uh, is, is, he runs in the 4x100 and is just nipped at the line by University of Tennessee. Then he comes back in the 4x200 later in the day and he has a monstrously uh, deficit to make up. He's running one lane outside a 21-flat 200-meter runner from LSU. Not only is he a lane outside, but he's about 15 yards behind. He, he catches the guy uh, almost midway through the turn and wins by about seven or eight yards. 
it was just amazing. Easily a sub twenty second uh, carry on the on the on the uh, two hundred meters on a raw drizzly day. Now uh, that was an amazing accomplishment. But then his coach decides that Nehemiah is going to anchor the four by four hundred meter relay for Maryland, and. Nehemiah's not so sure about that, but, you know, that's that's what we're going to do, and we're going to try and win this thing. He gets a baton, and he's about 20 meters down and with three teams ahead of him. And at the end of about 280 meters, uh, midway through the last turn, he's in striking distance, but how much more is left in his legs? He's made up an incredible margin. And he comes uh, out by the where the steeplechase used to be, and it's as if he popped a gear. It's as if he'd come out of the starting blocks, and he just lifts. He surges past the whole field and wins. It's, it's about the most amazing relay carry I, I've seen, particularly considering the horrible conditions that day. Um, I've since talked with, with Ronaldo. He was almost passed out for, for at least 20 minutes after that. Um, and it turns out it's the last time he ever ran the event. He's never run a 400-meter leg since. <laughs> and uh, if you saw him the way he looked after the race, you can you can imagine why, but he's the one who felt it. So two observations. One, you, that was 1979, you said? Yeah. So nothing's wrong with your memory. So you can't ever say that, you know, you can't remember things because if you can remember that great a detail in 1979 – um, but obviously it was a special moment, and, and you've probably relived it many times over the years. Um, but it's interesting that your your greatest memory is kind of outside of, of when you were, were a director. My guess is as a director you're probably pretty busy, and it's hard to kind of capture all these things. One thing that, that I noticed um, that was amazing to me, even, even when I was a student here uh, 20 years ago and, and last year even more so, is just the, the, the whole Caribbean influence, and particularly Jamaica, and the fact that not only do their runners come, uh, and, and, and I was very amazed by the, the support they give their high school teams down there, um, but the fans are here from both Jamaica as well as from cities all across the world. In fact, um, my understanding is that there's many families, that their, their, fam- their annual family reunion, uh, where they come from you know, Chicago and New York and Baltimore and Jamaica, is around the Penn Relays. Why is this such? Why do you think this is such a special event for for the Jamaicans, and, and what impact do they have on kind of the entire atmosphere of this of this event? Well, I think historically, uh, any group that's doing well gets a fo- developed its own following. Uh, when the event started, it was very much an Eastern Collegiate event. Um, as high school competition grew. Uh, you start getting, and particularly in New York, New York high schools and the colleges up there uh, in the 20s and then in the 30s start doing very well here. And the New York presence takes really strong hold. Um, in the 50s, you've got another a big cultural shift with um, – You've had a few things going on. You have the the World War II has ended. There's the GI Bill of Rights. So all sorts of people who never would have dreamed going to college are suddenly going to college. And you've had a, a, the, the beginning of integration. You've integrated the U.S. Army. And the Penn Relays, which has never been segregated in terms of 
uh, black schools not being permitted. They were always permitted. Now, there was the institutional races, racism within many uh, schools around the country that did not accept blacks, but uh, there was no denying any school opportunity to compete here. And with lots of new people going to college that hadn't had that opportunity before, you have the historically black uh, colleges and universities really starting to come to the front in the 50s and into the 60s. And that gets a large contingent of African Americans here, uh, particularly kids going to college in northern schools who, unlike their white counterparts, were not going south to Daytona Beach, say. Um, So Easter break, spring break for them, was often pen relays. You know, it's not it's not a coincidence that Philadelphia is the most populous city really close to the Mason-Dixon line. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that has always been uh, an aspect of, of Philadelphia and the Penn Relays that has had a, a real sway. Um, now, after the, the 50s and 60s, well, back in 64... Uh, Jamaican uh, Jamaican high school first came up here, and immediately a couple high schools from from down there started doing quite well. And as they grew in stature in the seventies, and then particularly in the eighties, when when women had been added to the program back in seventy eight, uh, the strength of the Jamaican high schools was uh, you couldn't you couldn't deny it and. It brought out their own crowd. Uh, so now you have have uh, a few people coming up from, from Kingston, from Jamaica, but really it's a gathering point for all the expats, all the, the members of the diaspora from Jamaica who are living in the U.S., and it's a convergence. Philadelphia is the, the nexus for that for one weekend a year. So that's, I mean, that's, it is amazing. And, and I think, um, yeah, I think it's a, it's a place for some of these Jamaican athletes, maybe to particular high school athletes to kind of show themselves to college scouts, for mm-hmm. example. Um, and I've had Jamaican citizens tell me that, that other than the Olympics, the Penn Relays is now kind of the most important race. It's the race that, that they aspire to. Um, one of the things, and, and we're, we're getting up against it here, we're going to have to take a break soon, but uh, just to briefly want to talk about it, uh, something that was added to the event uh, in the mid 2000s, which was this concept, and I think it's in conjunction with USA Track and Field and Nike, this USA versus the world's concept, um, which is basically the top runners in the U.S. running relays against the top runners from around the world, of which uh, the Caribbean is 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 very well represented. Can you talk a little bit about kind of the advent of that to the relays and the importance of that? Yeah, um, and that'll probably close it out here for the break for us. Okay, uh, yeah, the event, the USA versus World events, uh, six of them now, uh, six races, uh, began in the year two thousand, and it was uh, an expansion of something that already existed in a in a different guise. Uh, back in the 1990s, uh, Nike and other uh, shoe companies would sponsor their own teams. Uh, but, you know, you, you get some of the best runners in the world, but if you dress them up in shoe company uniforms, uh, nobody really cared. They don't care if Nike beats Adidas, who beats New Balance, and, uh, you know, it didn't matter. 
And we were struggling, several of us, with how do we make this work? And, you know, it's a shame that you get uh, a great set of quarter milers running a 4 by 400 and they run 302 and get very little response from the crowd. But as soon as the college championship race comes out or the high school championship run comes out and the colleges run uh, 306, 307 to win and the high schools maybe run 312 to win, they both get a much bigger response from the crowd. Well, it's it's a uniform. We're cheering for the uniform. And if you've got a rooting interest, you care. Not a lot of people care about one shoe company beating another. But it, but now uh, the people at USA at Track and Field working with Nike came up with the idea, let's, let's have this uh, USA team and we'll bring in other, other countries. And now let's take the, the Jamaicans and have them all run under with their Jamaican colors on. Uh, we'll put them in their national team uniforms, and that changed the whole thing. That uh, took all these elite athletes, many of whom had, were already here, but just changing the uniform is what flipped the whole thing around and made it a tremendous event. Um, and and it's you know it plays right to the the heartstrings of of almost any fan in the in the crowd. Absolutely. So. Um we we do need to take a break, uh, Dave. We should add historian to your title because clearly uh, of anybody that's been around the relays, you seem to have the most knowledge, uh, and, and we really appreciate your time. And for those that are listening, uh, the relays is uh, is at Franklin Field Thursday through Saturday, um, but you can also see all of it streaming on USATF.TV uh, as well as uh, some live races on Friday night on MB- NBCSN. Uh, and then a two-and-a-half-hour show from 12 to 2.30, I believe, on NBCSN as well. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.